a statement that uh, I don't think is all that controversial. Probably not going to be a lot of pushback. I don't think there's going to be a lot of pushback from people at high point. That work can easily rule our lives. Our work can consume us so easily. So common. Like when you are out talking with people in the lobby, one of the most common things you probably hear when you ask people, hey, how are you doing is, I'm stressed, overwhelmed, been really busy. And uh, when I talk about work today, I'm not just talking about your paid job. I think there's all kinds of earthly pursuits that really can capture us. Whether that's a side hustle or a degree or a hobby that you're super into, we can really easily just get consumed by our work. Work can easily rule our time. Some of you are a self-diagnosed workaholic, and you don't really remember ever being all that different. You're the person who prides yourself on leaving last. You're the person that prides yourself on sending work emails past midnight. You are always working, and you kind of feel good about it. Maybe for others, you're just in a season where you're working all the time, but you know, you'll get through it and you'll be able to relax later. You're working on that second degree, you're planning that wedding. Right now, you are working all the time and work is ruling your time. Uh, work can rule our minds. Uh, maybe for some of you, you're not working all day, every day, but when you clock out of work physically, you do not clock out mentally. You are working in your brain. When you get up to get ready in the morning, you're working. When you're driving home, you're working. When you're at home with your family, trying to fall asleep at night, you are planning. Gosh, I gotta send that email. I gotta prep that meeting for tomorrow. You can't turn it off. You are letting work rule your mind. And maybe most importantly, work can easily rule our hearts. Our work can get so quickly tied to our identity. What you think about yourself, what you're trying to become, can become so wrapped up in your job. You are just pursuing the most prestigious, high-status career you can pursue. And in order for you to feel like you're someone, you got to climb that ladder, and you are obsessed with making it. Work can rule our hearts in producing tons of anxiety. Maybe for you, you feel like you are failing at your job. Your job is a lot harder than you thought. And you are constantly anxious. I'm not stacking up. My boss is let down by me. When you get a text from a higher up in your office, you just get a mini panic attack because you go, oh no, I always feel like I'm failing. And so it just produces anxiety. You try to like relax, spend some time not working, and you feel guilty. Oh, I should be doing stuff. Oh, I can't. Oh. Work can rule our lives. And the problem with this is not just that work consumes us and takes up a lot of our time and maybe takes more of our energy. Uh, when work rules our lives, work ruins renewal. We are in this sustaining renewal series. How do we keep growing spiritually? When we are wrapped up, pulled into our earthly pursuits, and it becomes primary, our spiritual renewal stops happening. What do people do when they get wrapped up in their work? They go to all kinds of coping mechanisms, they check off work, and it's, I'm just going to watch as much mindless entertainment as possible, I'm going to go to alcohol, I'm going to go to porn, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to sort of release that pressure. 
Many people, they come home from work, but they have nothing left. When they get to their family, like the, the people that God has put in their life, they're just a zombie. They're just wanting to check out. Well, their kids are there, their spouse. When work rules us, it ruins our renewal. Uh, sometimes there's passages where it's, it's hard to find, like, the modern-day connection. Like, how do we relate to these people? This is not one of those days. Because the people were ruled by their work. Nehemiah had come back, and he noticed all kinds of problems that were happening with the people. One of the big things he noticed was that their work had gotten so out of whack in their hearts, it was ruling their lives. Let's read in verse 15. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling good on that day. People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. The Sabbath was this Old Testament command that for one day a week, you put all earthly pursuits aside and you worship God. One day where you put your productivity, your work, your stuff you're trying to do, money you're trying to make, ways you're trying to prove yourself, you put it aside and you simply worship God. And the people couldn't even do that. They were alive. God gave them six days. Hey, work all you want, six days. But they just kept pushing through that one day. The Sabbath was a huge commandment for the people of Israel. It set them apart. It was in the Ten Commandments, and there was a lot of space devoted to it. People knew they were supposed to honor the Sabbath, but their work had consumed them, and they just decided that they didn't need to do it. And when their work consumed them, renewal stopped. Let's read 17 and 18. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you're doing? Desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same things so that God brought all this calamity on us and on this city? Now you're stirring up even more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. Nehemiah says, look, God is going to be done with us. This is not a people spiritually thriving. This is not a people that God was blessing. God said, look, you have clearly pushed me aside. Clearly don't care about me anymore. You're, you're too busy with your stuff. And I don't, I don't know what else to do with you. Nehemiah says, God's wrath is going to be coming on the city. When work rules our lives, it ruins renewal. I would love to say that our disordered relationship with work will involve just like a quick fix. Just like a, hey, let's like tweak some things, maybe pray about it, maybe, maybe mention it in your small group that you got a bit of an idol there. I don't think this is the kind of thing that gets fixed that easily. Nehemiah did not respond to this by being like, hey guys, could you like consider Sabbathing, or like maybe, maybe cool it down a little bit. They're like, yeah, let's, let's try. Nehemiah came in and laid the smack down. He made the most aggressive 
change, and he forced it on the people. Because Nehemiah knows something. He knows that fixing this problem does not happen with a subtle little suggestion. There needs to be something dramatic put in place to fix this problem because it is such a deep problem in our hearts. This is what Nehemiah does. Verse 19. When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside of Jerusalem, but I warned them and said, why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Apparently, that warning was good enough. Nehemiah shut the city down. He didn't suggest the Sabbath. He enforced it. No, you can't come in here. And when people tried to, like, push the limits by waiting outside in order to be first in line the next day, they were already, like, ready to get back to work. Nehemiah says, I will arrest you if you come back and do this. The reason Nehemiah goes so hard here and implements such a drastic change is because he can see that the people's hearts had gotten so off course, their priorities had gotten so flipped upside down, so backwards, so distorted, that he knew something drastic needed to be done. And it is the same thing for us. We must implement something drastic to not allow our work to take us off course. Because this is the simple reality of our hearts, and there's no way around this. You'll either be ruled by work or ruled by worship. You will either put your earthly pursuits on the throne of your heart, or you will put King Jesus on the throne of your heart. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot be both pursuing your earthly gain at the front and center and Jesus at the front and center. There is one of those two things that you are making primary. You are either finding your identity in what your boss thinks about you or what King Jesus thinks about you. You are either dreaming about the kind of person you can become in an earthly sense or dreaming about what God wants to do in your life. You are either living in fear and anxiety about what your coworkers think about you and how good you're doing and how you stack up, or you are finding security in what God has said about you. There is one thing that you can have front and center in your heart, and it is either work or it is worship. Can't have it both ways. You will be ruled by one, and you will give up the other. 
just to give a clarification before I keep going. Uh, I'm not saying that work and worship are totally opposites of each other. Uh, you can totally work and have that be an act of worship. I'm not saying your nine to five job is like all not worship, and then like once you stop, you can worship. Um, but when work is the primary thing driving us, uh, work stops being worship. When God is on the throne of your heart, front and center, that is when your job, you can truly work unto the Lord and not unto men. So I'm not saying that these things are totally polar opposites of each other. And I'm not saying that you need to be doing one all week or the other all week. It was still a six to one ratio. This is about what is front and center in your heart. So I just want to give you two reasons um, to be ruled by worship, and then I'll give some application here. Because you are going to have to make a choice of who you want to serve. And I'm going to give two reasons why I think you should make King Jesus be the one that you serve and worshiping him be your main goal in your life. Not to pursue puffing up your name, making yourself great, making everyone like you, but putting God on the throne, glorifying him, praising his name. Here's why you should do this. First, Jesus is the far better ruler. He is the far better ruler. This is where things get good, all right? I'm not trying to like condemn you and be like, oh, you're following a bad master, you should feel terrible. This is an invitation to leave it. Get out of there. Making work your ruler is the worst idea you could ever have. Few reasons for this. One, what work promises you? There's, there's something you're after when you make work primary, right? An identity thing, a, 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 like a purpose thing. You want to belong. You want to get affirmed in a certain way. Work promises to deliver that, but it never does. And you've probably experienced this. Like when you get that raise, what do you want? You want the next one. When you get that, you know, when you get bumped up at work, um, you just want to get bumped up again. Like when you, when you achieve, you just want to achieve more. It puts us on this treadmill of like always trying to gain what we think work will give us, but it never does. What we are, also, what we are almost always, I'm pretty convinced, always after, when we make work primary, if you really isolate it, and think about it, you will realize how vain it is and how foolish it is that we pursue these things. Like what your boss thinks about you, you're going to kill yourself for that? That is a dumb thing to pour your heart into. Getting recognized by people like other people's opinions of you, being like the best in your field. We pursue this, but if you really look at how much that really matters in the scope of all things, it doesn't really matter. I had gone through an extremely busy phase, and I'm sure most all of us have. Um, for a season, I was getting my MDiv down in Illinois, over two hours away, and I was working here full-time. And I had convinced myself, I don't need to ever stop and worship. Like, I don't need to do the Sabbath worship thing, where I just stop my earthly pursuits, and I just praise God. I said, nah, I'm kind of in this, I'm in this busy thing. Like, I got to go pretty much seven days a week, all day, every day. And I was just in it. And I convinced myself that I was doing this for such good reasons. Like, oh, I just want everyone to come to know Jesus. And I want to get such a good MDiv so that I can, like, preach so well. And, and it's going to lead so many people to Christ. And I want the youth group to be so amazing so that all these teenagers come to love Jesus. But was that really why I was pouring in hours and hours and hours into my work and thinking I can never take a day off? 
No way! I, it was about my identity, me being someone special. You know what genuinely was like one of the main drives for me when I look back at it? I knew what Pastor Nick's GPA was at the same school and I wanted to see if I could beat him. <laughs> you know how good it would feel to be smarter than Pastor Nick? Ah, I'll kill myself to do this. You know how many people have asked me what my GPA was from seminary? You know how many people? Literally one person has asked me. Like, you guys don't know. You haven't seen my diploma. You don't even know that I did the thing. And that's what I was, like, killing myself for. Like, that number. Like, three point. Oh, let's get it high. Like, that's what I was going for. Like, what a silly thing to be losing sleep, not eating right, not exercising, not resting. But if you really look and you analyze what you're after, it's probably not much better. Like, what is driving you to not be able to put work in its proper place? It's probably not something noble. It's probably something really silly. What Jesus offers you is truly what your heart is after. You wanting to belong, have a purpose, have an identity, that's all found in Jesus. That's where our souls are truly satisfied. That's where what we are really after is actually accomplished. Jesus is a master who invites you in, and he loves you. He knows you. You can give yourself to him fully. He will take care of you, protect you, walk with you. He's, he's not here to trick you or mess you up. His rules are not to limit your fun or to make you miserable. He is a good master. He's the one to follow. And if you are on the track of making work your ruler, you're just following a far worse ruler. You can give that up. That ruler does not care about you. People don't really care about how good you are at your job. The world is not going to stop spinning just because you take some time off. Like, we convince ourselves we hate our limits. We, we feel like we need to prove something. All that has been established by the Lord. You are enough. When you accept Christ, you are enough in him. Jesus is the far better ruler. Second reason um, to put the Lord on the throne of your heart is that Sabbath worship is work toward renewal. Um, we have, I think, let our like, frenetic, busy culture creep into our Christianity. Where we think to do this renewing thing, we got to keep it going and do more stuff and more hours and, and more things. Like, that's how we really do it. And I love all the ministry stuff that we're doing. I think it's great. But if we start to think that's the stuff that really matters, that's the core thing, then we're kidding ourselves. Like, we've lost complete track of what we are here for. Nick, a few weeks ago, said that worship is, is like sleep. Like, if you don't sleep, the whole thing just shuts down. If you think, oh, I'm just going like, to keep going, 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 and you never stop to sleep, it's not going to work. Sabbath worship is work toward renewal. We are, like, primarily saved to be in relationship with the living God. And it's just so easy for me to think I'm just serving, 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 doing, 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 working, 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 and not just being with him, not just resting in his presence. That's what he saved us for. He saved us for a lot of other things. But he saved us to be in relationship with him. 
Probably a lot of you are thinking, are you going to tell me I need to Sabbath? Like, you're maybe wondering that. Like, is that what you're saying? Um, Because there are certain branches of Christianity that still have a really strict view of Sabbath. If you aren't as familiar with the Bible, the Sabbath was a commandment for people in the Old Testament, and then the New Testament, that gets dropped. So there's no commandment you have to Sabbath on a certain day. But the Sabbath principle remains. That didn't go anywhere. Jesus just upgraded the Sabbath. Jesus came, he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And what he was saying, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, soul-level rest. Jesus was lifting the yoke of the law off of our shoulders so that in Christ, we don't have to work anymore. And all of this points us forward to the ultimate Sabbath rest we'll have with God eternally where we will enjoy perfect fellowship with him. But we are in this weird, messy middle where we are not quite yet at that Sabbath worship, but we are past the law. And so now we just take the principles and we apply them in ways that make sense. This is kind of similar to tithing. You know, in the Old Testament, it was like, okay, we get this principle of 10%. Now in the New Testament, it's just be generous. Like give and make sure you're keeping that going. And for most people, they just go, hey, we had this Old Testament commandment just to do, t- let's, let's just keep that going. And I, that's kind of become common among evangelical Christians, that we just keep that going. The Sabbath is different, though. There's way more pushback on the Sabbath. It's the same thing. It's like, hey, this was the exact thing you had to do. Now still carve out space to rest and worship God and simply focus on him. This was the model. This is about what it should look like. And we're like, ah, I don't think so. And I think our just addiction to work, and I think the fact that we have a, like a bigger idol of our time than our money, it just colors the way we read the passage. And I think we've really like diminished the Sabbath as a thing. Like we just don't think it applies to that. It's an Old Testament thing. I'm not telling you to be burdened by the Sabbath, like you have to do it this exact day, and if you do anything productive, like you're a terrible person. That's not what I'm saying. But don't be dismissive of it. I've spent too much of my life being very dismissive of the Sabbath. Just doesn't, and I, I, like, it's, again, it's because my heart is so crazy. (laughs) Like, I think, no, 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 I could could never, a whole day to do nothing productive? Are you, are you kidding? You know what stuff I gotta do? I can hardly do it in seven days. Are you crazy? That is all emotional reaction. You do not get that from here. (laughs) You don't get a, hey, you literally have to do this on Saturday or Sunday, whatever. You don't get that. But, Jesus often went out to be with God. The early church observed the Sabbath. There's no reason for us to say, I don't need to do this. It is a helpful model to implement Sabbath worship in your life. It's a helpful thing. Same with giving. In certain stages, you're going to be able to do it more. It's going to look a little different for all of us. But you cannot, for a second, Think that work is not an idol in your heart if you can never stop doing it. If you can never stop your earthly pursuit and simply worship God. If that is like so hard for you, and then you try to tell me you don't have an idol of work, I'm going to kind of be like, really? (laughs) You think? 
Don't be burdened by the Sabbath, but don't be dismissive of it. We're too quick to jump into the exception box. Like, oh, I don't have to do this because I'm doing this right now. Oh, as soon as this wedding is planned, I can, and I can take it. As soon as I got this degree, and, hey, as soon as I get this position, hey, as soon as the kids are out of the house, you will keep doing this forever. I know a lot of retired people who say they're working more than they ever were. It doesn't stop. This is a heart-level problem. This has nothing to do with your current circumstances. I totally understand there are crazy exceptions who are listening right now. I totally understand that. Some of you, you have responsibilities that you just cannot turn off for today. I totally understand that. I mean, people still took care of their kids and all that kind of stuff, right? But we are so quick to be like, I couldn't do this. No, I couldn't do it. If I had implemented Sabbath, I probably would have done better in school. <laughs> and I probably just would have gotten my work done more efficiently. I mean, there's all kinds of just like practical reasons to do this. Sabbath thing doesn't seem exciting for us because it's so ordinary. It's so boring sounding. And part of our problem is like we think things need to be productive for us all the time. But really, what we do as believers is we have regular habits and practices that grow our hearts. This is why churches use liturgies, like very regular, kind of mundane things you say over and over again because it forces your heart to believe it. What a Sabbath does is it forces you to put Jesus on the throne. Be like, I'm doing it. I'm, he's on the throne. I'm just going to focus on him. This is, the, this is a spiritual reset button. I'm just going to put him there. And it might not be all that amazing. We have this kind of weird understanding about worship right now in kind of modern Christianity, both in like the daily Sabbath and, and like Sunday worship. Um, I hear so many people, and I know they're, they're well-meaning, but I think it just it shows our idolatry. They say, I'm going to do a quiet time in the morning to get me through my day. I love waking up, getting in the Word, because it just fuels me for the rest of the day. Notice how that's meeting with God in order for it to, like, do something for you. Like, it's supposed to make you feel good. But if you read this book cover to cover, good luck finding many days that just get you through your Zoom calls you're about to go on, okay? If you're reading through this thing, you're going to be like, okay, Genesis, Exodus is pretty cool. I like that stuff. But then, oh, we got numbers. All right, so this is where most people give up. Joshua gets kind of fun again because a lot of people die, and then you get the kings, but then you're like in Chronicles, and you're reading the same stuff over again. You're like, I don't know what's going on. Then you're in like the prophets, reading oracles of judgment against nations you've never heard of before that you can't pronounce. Like, good luck letting that get you through your Zoom calls for the day. You think it's going to make you feel great? Oh, I feel so encouraged. It's so wonderful. (laughs) It's not about the daily thing, but when you actually commit Daily, I will spend time with the Lord in his word. Over time, the picture of his goodness, his faithfulness, starts to appear, and our hearts start to grow toward him. But if you think that a quiet time is to make you feel wonderful, you're going to be disappointed, and you're going to end up doing other things instead. There's a lot more effective ways to get you through your day than reading the Bible. I think it's the same thing with modern worship. Everything's got to be so catchy now. Everything's got to make me feel so wonderful. It's not really what it's about. Like, we worship God because he is worthy of our worship, yes? We're not here to feel wonderful. If you want to feel wonderful listening to music, there's a lot of other music besides Christian contemporary music, all right? You can come argue with me about that, but there's a lot of other ways you can feel really good listening to music. I'm not saying that you'll never feel joy in the Lord. You absolutely will. 
But we first put the practice in place, and it might not always feel great. It's an ordinary thing, but it grows our hearts, our hunger for the Lord, our craving for him, our natural bent to put him on the throne grows through habits. So I'm going to tell you to do a Sabbath. (laughs) Have a daily time with the Lord that you carve out all your earthly pursuits and a weekly time with the Lord where you carve out your earthly pursuits. And you're going to be tempted to ruin this. Like, you're going to try, and it's so easy to sabotage your Sabbath. And so I just want to give you very quickly here how not to sabotage your Sabbath. Here's what you got to do to make sure this works. Because the problem is, maybe you're like, I don't really work that hard, so this sermon's not really hitting me. But then your day off is just playing video games like all day. And you're like, there, there was my Sabbath. No, that wasn't. Okay, that doesn't count. It needs to be an actual Sabbath, all right? So let me break that down a little bit. How not to sabotage your Sabbath? First, guard it physically. Guard it physically. Nehemiah put guards in place. And you may need to do some extreme things to make sure you Sabbath. Schedule it. Get accountability on it. Don't plan other things. If someone calls you and is like, hey, man, I need help with things, be like, no, not helping you. It's my Sabbath day. Tell them to go find someone else. Guard it physically. This just ble- like if people start a Sabbath and they just let stuff start to creep in, like unnecessary things. Again, I understand this is nuance, and there's certain ways you might need to be productive in, in every day. That's okay, but we know we let things that are like our earthly cravings fill it in. Protect yourself against that stuff. When you get into your like time with the Lord, get distractions out of the room. All right, don't have a million screens around you. All right, like you are going to ruin it. Don't sabotage it. Um, Guard it physically. Next, guard it mentally. So easy to be like not working, but be planning your work day the next day. Leave that for tomorrow. The Lord's got you. The Lord will take care of it. Maybe this is like a millennial thing, and I just feel this. I don't know. But like, it's so easy to be like, I just gotta like, oh shoot, I got that thing to do. Is stop. Don't think about your job. Don't think about your earthly pursuit. Whatever it is that you're Sabbathing from, whatever thing it is, I'm not going to do this thing. Don't think about it. Maybe you got to like write it down. If you got something you remember you got to do, you don't forget. Okay, it's going to be okay. Part of the problem with the digital age, I don't have my phone, is uh, we feel like we can always be productive all the time. Like our phones are just always there. And it's like, mm, I could always send more emails. I could always do some things. If you have a job that's like people focused, like you can always be doing more stuff. You gotta put that stuff aside. Guard it mentally. Don't let yourself be planning. Worry about your work the next day. Does it make your work the next day go better? It just makes you stress. It just steals your joy in the moment. It just takes you out of it. Don't let that happen. Guard it mentally. And then most importantly, guard it spiritually. Guard it spiritually. Nehemiah put the priests out who purified themselves, and they guarded to make the Sabbath holy. This is meant to be a sacred day. I'm not saying you need to do like a 12-hour quiet time or listen to like 25 sermons or something, but it should be a day that feels sacred. It shouldn't have none of that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it shouldn't have no time with God. Like, if you leave your Sabbath day, but you no more feel like God is in the center of your life, then you, you kind of goofed. Make it a day where you choose things that are restorative. You opt for things that get you into relationship and growing in fellowship with people in your life. 
Do things that are productive toward you. Whatever that earthly pursuit is, or those things you just kind of crave, like, I got to keep doing it, put that stuff aside. And do stuff that allows you to worship God. Pray, journal, reflect, read things that help you grow. Make it a day devoted to the Lord. This is why a lot of Christians will choose Sunday, because they start in church, kind of sets you up, and then you kind of take your afternoon and evening focusing on things that restore you, get you connected to God, and get you connected to um, his church. I want this church to do a lot of amazing work. I'm excited about what God is doing. I'm excited more people are coming back. I want to see people get reached. I want to see Madison changed. I want us to be a light in this place that feels darker and darker. But if we do not carve out time to stop working, we're gonna burn out. We're gonna short circuit that whole process. Don't be so prideful to think this could not be my problem. We need to implement something drastic. So have something, Sabbath, worship, schedule it, get it in, get accountability, tell your small group, whatever you got to do, because Jesus is a far better ruler. Let me pray for us. Lord, we're so thankful for you, God. We love you. We're in awe of you, and um, Father, I just ask that um, you would be our king, that we would praise you with our lives, that our hearts would not be driven to be producing, to be making a name for ourselves, to be doing whatever, get whatever affirmation we feel we need, but we would find true rest in you, that we would live for your glory, live to praise you, lift you up, and as we implement this daily practice, I pray that you would grow our hearts each and every day. Lord, please be our center, our foundation, be our guideposts, where we don't want to get off course. We don't want to fall away from you. Father, I pray that we would continually implement worship into our lives so that we keep you front and center. In your name, amen.